I kind of said, all right, I'll let you manage this. Kind of fill me in on what's going on. I really am kind of clueless in all of this. So it's gotten better over the years. At the beginning, there was a lot of clashing with it just because he was so into it and I was so wait, why do we have to do all of this all the time? And it ended up being one of those situations when he could see so much more of the bigger picture than I could. And over time, I'm like, oh, that's why we've been doing it this way. You know, it was, I remember, you know, being in the grocery store as a newlywed and like putting things back on the shelf because it was putting me over my budget. So I had my calculator in one hand and my list in the other and like, being almost in tears because I'm like, I can't make this work. But by doing that in the beginning and being so much more responsible with our budget and our spreadsheets and having those long discussions at the dining room table for years, um, it slowly began to make more sense to me. Um, And the benefits have obviously been coming in much more over the years. <laughs> and her her input of why do we have to be so hard on ourselves with this stuff all of the time helped me understand that like, hey, there, there's a little bit more to this than just money. And and so we kind of joke around and say that she's the she's the jelly to the peanut butter in the sandwich, right? Like So we compliment each other in that way. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 322. Stace? We're back to starting the episodes just like we used to. What's going on in your world? This question never gets easier to answer. I never know. I never know how to how to take it. But I'm doing great over here. Just still complaining of pregnancy symptoms, which we're all ready for <laughs> those to go away. But I have my voice back, and uh, yeah, it's been a good weekend, busy weekend, but ready for a great week. Yeah. We're uh, almost to Halloween here, which we're still trying to figure out our costumes. We thought we'd dress up as podcasters, but then realized that, you know, <laughs> nobody knows what we look like behind the mic. And I don't even think most of our friends know we podcast. So, <laughs> no, it's great. It's all good. Been doing it for six years. So, almost seven. It's going to be the anniversary. Actually, holy crap, next month. Wow. I'll make we're going to do something cake. big. I know. We should have a little like cake celebration on the podcast. <laughs> That's a good idea. All right. I'm taking that to the bank. Speaking of the bank, the, this week's reviews have been off the chain. In fact, I'm going to read a couple of them because I got a cool one in that makes a lot of this stuff all worth it. Not that all of them don't, but this one's really cool. But I'm going to start out with Tony first. He says, I've been a longtime listener and loved every episode, but this one was one of my favorites. He's referring to uh, last week's episode. Incredible story. Thank you both for the podcast. Really inspiring. That was This was last week's episode with Charles. Also, this comes from uh, Binka51. Just love your podcast. Congrats to you and your wife on expecting twins. How exciting. I've listened to the podcast from the beginning, and please keep up the great work. I also got one from Hans, who said, love the show. Key question. Love the show. But oftentimes missing a key question to ask millionaires, that is their age. It's hard to understand their background when you don't know their age. Love everything else about the show. Thank you. 
Hans, appreciate that. We will try to incorporate that over the years, uh, as you can imagine. Some people don't want to reveal their age. Uh, we do have, you know, we try to put some of it in the show notes, at least in the decade that they're in, uh, but something that we'll be a little more attentive to going forward. And we do usually ask how long it's taken them to get where they are, but I think we could definitely be better about, about addressing age if they're comfortable sharing it. Now, on to my favorite review I think I've ever gotten. This comes from Lucius, which is a pretty, pretty sweet name. It says, I loved it. I'm 10. And I'm so interested in this stuff. Please keep going. I got a 10-year-old that I'm aspiring. That is what a bunch of this is for. So, Lucius, man, you made my, you made my week, my day, my year. Appreciate it. Thanks for the shout-out. We'll keep creating great stories, content. As long as the guests keep coming on the show. Speaking of, if you haven't heard your story yet, which today we're actually going to get into a, an interesting story and a profession that we've never had on, which is amazing. But if you haven't heard your story, or even if you had and would like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'll get you scheduled and get you on the show. And for today's episode, we have Ryan and Allie. Ryan was a Marine and ended up having to leave the Marines that we get into the, to the story about that. And now he works uh, for a utility company, local utility company. And Allie is a librarian. She started out in the mailroom though, and then got and worked her way up, got her master's. Incredible stories. Net worth is just at 1.1 million. A uh, good chunk of that is actually in their Roth IRA and retirement accounts, just under half a million. They've got some real estate that they've built up over the years and then some home equity and cash uh, kind of round out their investments. So could not be more excited for today's episode with Ryan and Allie. Yeah, something actually I loved about this episode is Ryan and Allie are a superstar team. Um, you'll notice throughout their episode just how much they support one another uh, through their trials, and that was really inspiring to me. I love um, stories of families because this is definitely pertinent to my own family. This is certainly a family journey for us. Um, there's a lot of support that goes on, goes on behind the scenes on on either end, um, and that was really inspiring to me. Aside from uh, aside from their net worth gains, so I'm hoping they come back and do a relationship episode. <laughs> Should we, should we switch? I'm, we're not switching gears. Don't worry. Yeah, we're not expanding yet. But without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Ryan and Allie. Ryan and Allie, do you want to just give us a little bit of your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so uh, I work for a utility repair company in the, in the area. And what I do for them is I repair uh, two-way radios. That's my W-2 job. Uh, I'm also managing our real estate investment LLC that we stood up about six years ago. Prior to that, I was in the United States Marine Corps for about 10 years. And uh, after I got out in 2016, I moved back here to South Carolina, where I'm from. I am a state documents cataloging librarian. My background, I just got my master's in library and information science last year. So I just started as a cataloger this year, which is my career goal as of late. Um, but I've been in libraries for about a decade. Before that, I dabbled in some executive real estate. Uh, but my undergraduate degree was actually in theater. And I'm originally from New Jersey. Wow. So fair to say, we've got a radio technician and a librarian, millionaires. Yes. That's right. Dang, that is awesome. Congrats to y'all. So 
I want to get in. And by the way, thank you for your service in the Marine Corps. We just got back from Hawaii not too long ago and, and went to Pearl Harbor. And man, that's just, that's just, you know, it's touching. And I appreciate those, especially, you know, those that come on our show. And we've had quite a few on the military, but for those listening, it is proven to multiple people that it is uh, definitely a career that is admirable and also a way for, for you to create wealth as well. So Ryan, Allie, what's the net worth today? So today, the total net worth looks like it's at uh, $1,095,317. Wow. So newly minty coming to do the million dollar holler today. I love it. That's right. <laughs> so what? what's the breakup of, we'll call it 1.1 roundup. What's the breakup of the 1.1? Okay. So uh, I've got about 425000 of that is in various retirement accounts. Uh, that's spread between traditional and Roth, although the bulk of it is in Roth. I've got another 425000 of that in real estate. Uh, we've got about $40,000 worth of cash and a little over $100,000 in home equity. And our non-qualified account. Oh, yeah. And, and $115,000 in a non-qualified brokerage account as well. Interesting. So you've got you've got quite the, the 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 gamut here a little bit. Let's uh let's start with the money that you have in in the market. Is that invested that's in your Roth and in four one k? Is that invested in in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, index funds? So what we do is a an eighty twenty split between a large cap growth ETF and a small cap ETF. And what we'll do is go in and rebalance to that allocation regularly. And did you start that way from the beginning? No, no. We, we learned that through much trial and error. And that, that actually seemed to be the most, I guess I would say, profitable uh, allocation that we found. Okay. Profitable allocation. Walk me through how you arrived at that. What time period were you looking at? I mean, what did it start like? <laughs> kind of walk us through the journey here. Okay. So, uh, well, uh, this I have to go back to whenever I was about 20 years old, uh, sitting in my barracks room in the Marines, wondering how I was going to stop overdrafting my bank account every month uh, and decided to figure out how money works. And what I figured out was that if I ever wanted to have any, I needed to spend less than I made and invest the difference. And so I didn't really know anything about investing or stock picking or anything like that, but I was I was eager to learn and I had Google and uh, I had CNBC on the television. So I, I tried my hand at stock picking for a number of years, uh, dabbled in some options trading, uh, made a good amount of money doing that and then lost all of it. Then decided to buckle down and figure out how to invest more steadily and pick solid companies. And we started out investing in about five or six companies uh, regularly. And then that got to be just too, too much to try and keep up with, with all the different earning statements and everything coming out. So uh, when ETFs came, I guess I noticed them in about 2010. Around that time, I decided to shift focus and, and gain some of the diversification that you can get from an ETF. And for a long time, I was doing a little bit of small, a little bit of large, a little bit of mid, a little bit of REITs, a little bit of everything. And only about six years ago, I heard the 80-20 allocation. It was actually uh, from an interview, I think, on your podcast. It was the first place that I heard it. 
And I decided to back test it with some uh, online software that I was using. And I found that it was more profitable than anything I had done up until that point. Hmm. Interesting. And the real story is you got married and figured out how to invest, correct? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Allie, while Ryan's explaining this, y'all met at some point. What did you bring to the table in terms of like, hey, this is what I want to do? Or was it more of like, hey, I don't know anything about this. I'll lean on you to kind of just figure it out. We met around the beginning of that story. We met when we were about 20 years old. I was in college and he was stationed in D.C. Um, So in the beginning, we really I had some stocks that my parents had set up a basic portfolio for me. Um, I never had very much in it. but My dad kind of managed it for me and let me know what was going on with it. I wasn't that interested at the time. Um, and when I met Ryan, you know, we started dating and a couple months in, he started really getting into this. And I think this is when you got your Blackberry so you could watch the market, <laughs> you know? Um, so we had the Blackberry while everyone else kind of had a flip phone and um, our dates at the time were watching a DVD at my apartment and maybe getting McDonald's. Like everything was getting saved. You know, we were trying to be dollar menu, dollar menu McDonald's. Yeah. We, uh, (laughs) there wasn't very much going on and we did get married in 2010. And, um, I kind of said, all right, I'll let you manage this kind of fill me in on what's going on. I really am kind of clueless in all of this. So it's gotten better over the years. The beginning, there was a lot of clashing with it just because, he was so into it. And I was so, wait, why do we have to do all of this all the time? And it ended up being one of those situations when he could see so much more of the bigger picture than I could. And over time, I'm like, oh, that's why we've been doing it this way. You know, it was, I remember, you know, being in the grocery store as a newlywed and like putting things back on the shelf because it was putting me over my budget. So I had my calculator in one hand and my list in the other. And like, being almost in tears because I'm like, I can't make this work. But by doing that in the beginning and being so much more responsible with our budget and our spreadsheets and having those long discussions at the dining room table for years, um, it slowly began to make more sense to me. And the benefits have obviously been coming in much more over the years. (laughs) And we balanced each other out too, if I can just butt in for a second. Like she... Her her input of why do we have to be so hard on ourselves with this stuff all of the time helped me understand that like, hey, there, there's a little bit more to this than just money. And and so we kind of joke around and say that she's the she's the jelly to the peanut butter in the sandwich, right? Like so we compliment each other in that way. That's awesome. It seems like you guys compliment each other in a lot of ways, uh, which is nice to see you as such a, a strong such a strong team. So it's challenging those, especially formative years when you're trying to put so much away, it's a little bit emotional in some ways, maybe more so for some women than men, because you're the physically putting things back away on the shelf is an actual reminder of, I am, I am delaying my gratification. I really want to buy this. Is it really that big of a deal? It's $3. It's $10. It's $20 a week here or there, but you know, you're showing that you're setting goals and doing what you have to do to reach those. Thank you so much for walking us through some of those investments. You mentioned at the beginning that you also have some real estate. So it sounds like you all have some other uh, other income generating 
sources. Talk us through those. Yeah, so we have um, we have some investment real estate. We we own seven doors uh, in the Midlands, South Carolina area. One of those is a single family home. Uh, we own one duplex and we own one quadruplex. And right wow. now the oh, I'm sorry. Right now the uh, the values of of all of those together sit at up close to nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, and the amount of leverage that we have against those is only about $500,000. So we're just over 50% levered on those. And our goal is to actually try and have those paid off within the next 10 to 15 years so that 100% of the cash flow is coming straight to us. Amazing. So at what point did you start diversifying your portfolio outside of those other mm-hmm. funds? Yes. So about around 2015, we had to do a big pivot. Ryan ended up having a DUI um, while he was in the military. And it was one of those things we kind of knew that was going to be the end of the Marine Corps career. So I um, got pregnant with our oldest during this time frame, and he ended up being a preemie. Um, He was born at like 34 weeks. So we were in the NICU. We knew... His career was ending. I wasn't working anymore because we were fully invested in the NICU and our son. And it was a panic of, okay, now what do we do? You know, we had this whole big plan that was 10, 15 years in, you know, in the future was going to be set. You know, we we're going to have the military retirement. We we're going to have the insurance, like everything was set and it all kind of fell away from us in, in one evening. So uh, we had to pivot and Ryan got sober and we moved to South Carolina and he started working um, in radios here. And we're like, okay, we've always wanted to look into real estate. Let's do this. So I found how to start an LLC.com and I started doing all that paperwork and I was home with Will, um, our oldest, and luckily, you know, once he got out of the NICU, he was healthy, he was fine. You know, it was a very stressful beginning, but thankfully he was okay. But I started putting together all the paperwork and, okay, this is the stuff we need. We need the EIN, we need to have the articles of organization, we need to file this paperwork. And he started looking in the area and meeting with real estate agents and networking and it kind of all started growing from there. Um, In the beginning, he was doing almost everything. You know, he would work from 7.30 to 3.30 at his regular job and then go to a property and work there till 9, 10 o'clock at night. You know, we really couldn't afford contractors or extra help. And that was a very long couple. With, <laughs> with a newborn in the house. With a newborn <laughs> in a new state, you know, uh, we had been living in North Carolina. We'd moved to South Carolina and it was a, that, it almost felt like going back to the beginning. It was a, a very. You reminded of putting stuff back in the grocery store again. <laughs> there was putting stuff back in the grocery store again when we you got. Did, you just didn't go to the grocery store. Just You just yeah. went to look. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking in the window. We're window shopping at, at the food lion. Yeah. And yeah, so that first flip, it was one of those times like how in the, like we look back, like how in the world did we get through that? And do that. It was together. That's yeah. how we got to it. Yes. Um, yeah. So that 
kind of brought real estate into the picture for us because we just had to, we had to, you know, get a plan B. Plan A did not work out. So plan B went into effect. Wow. Way to rally. That could have gone so differently for your whole family in so many different ways. Um, What kind of role, if I might ask, did getting sober play in any of this, if it did at all? Oh, it played a tremendous role. Um, I, one thing you don't realize, if, if any of you listeners have a problem with, with alcohol or think they might, is how much time is actually spent not only drinking, but recovering from drinking uh, the next day. Once that's cut out, it's it's almost like a superpower. Like you can, you can run, you know, for hours longer than you used to be able to and focus better on, on, things more than you used to be able to whenever you were drinking. So getting, getting sober was definitely a, a plus in that situation. It was also money saving. It's, it also <laughs> saves a lot of money yeah, when you don't have to buy booze when you go out. So Wow. So Allie, you took some time away from work, obviously, when your baby was in the NICU. At what point did you go back to work? When he turned one, I was like, all right, it's time to get back in on this. I'd worked in libraries at Camp Lejeune where he had been stationed and it was, you know, kind of part-time work. It was at first, um, it was one of those things. I was a paraprofessional, but I loved it. I loved books. I loved being around people. Um, it was one of those things I didn't think I could make a career out of it because to be considered a full librarian, you usually need to have your master's. And that was not something I was interested in at the time, but I started looking in libraries in the area and I got hired working with talking book services where we provide audiobooks to the visually impaired. And I actually started in the mail room. And <laughs> Worked her way up from the mail room. Yes. So the original job I got, they, I mean, I was low ball to the point where I was like, look, I'm paying for daycare and the salary you're offering me is not even going to make it. I'm going to be paying to go to work. Can we adjust this a little bit? So I think that first nine months when I was working in the mail room, getting my foot in the door, we were breaking even. On that, it was like it was covering daycare and giving Will and I benefits since Ryan had the VA. We decided to have him switch to that to save some money. And I eventually got promoted to being a reader advisor assistant. And I realized my job offered a tuition assistance program that once you'd worked there six months, that you, you could apply for school. Um, you would pay the upfront cost, but if you got higher than a B, they would reimburse you for everything. So as long as you can, you know, get through the class and get the good grades, they'll pay for it. And they would cover up to basically four classes a year. So I was like, all right, I'm going for it. Uh, I never thought I'd go back to school, but when it was going to be like that, I couldn't say no. Uh, So I, I applied, I got into the university of South Carolina and a month later I found out I was pregnant again. (laughs) Um, I started going back to school, newly pregnant with a toddler and working full time. And it was another new sort of grind. (laughs) While I was still Still flipping flipping houses, houses. by the way, (laughs) until 10 o'clock at night. So um, it it was another one of those periods in life. You look back, go, oh, God, how would we do it? Um, I did take off a semester or so when our youngest was born. And I went back to school. I'm like, all right, let's do this. And then the pandemic hit. So it was like brutal, just brutal. Yeah. It's like, you kind of get ahead and then there's a big step back and you kind of get a bit and there's a step back. 
But it took me about three years, and I graduated last year with my master's. and With a 4.0 GPA, I might add. <laughs> I'm going to uh, brag on her a little bit. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, yes, and then it led me into my current, my you know, I'm at the same library, but I switched departments. They offered a position in technical services and cataloging, which is what I've always wanted to do. So um, I'm now a state documents cataloging librarian. And it's one of those jobs where people hear it and they go, oh, so you like that? And I say yes. And they, okay, good. I'm glad because I wouldn't. <laughs> but somebody has to like the boring technical metadata organizational sort of thing. And thankfully I do. So <laughs> definitely. And, and thankfully we all lean on you. Thank you for your job, your own particular type of service. <laughs> Well, that's amazing. Uh, Way to work through so many challenges. And um, Ryan, as you're doing all this house flipping, did you have any sort of a background or did you YouTube your way through these flips? And also, where do you sit now in terms of management and flipping? Are you adding on to this portfolio? What's talk me through that? Okay. So yeah, in the beginning, there was a lot of YouTubing. Um, I had a one thing I can say is if you're going to invest in real estate, find a good real estate agent. I had a wonderful real estate agent who had invested in several properties himself who sort of helped walk me through this process. He also introduced me to uh, contractors and handymen that didn't mind helping me, even though they knew I didn't have much money to pay them. They would show up. I would pay them for a little bit of work. But while they were there, they could show me a few things. And, and I, I definitely use that to my advantage. Um, just reaching out to other friends of mine, people at work, YouTube, of course, uh, is always a great resource. But I found if you're going to use YouTube when you're flipping a house, you need to you need to watch at least five videos on one subject because then you might get a whole picture on what's actually supposed to happen. And we did have our families help out. And our families it. helped out as well. That's right. My in-laws actually came in and uh, helped me out a few times. Uh, my my family came and helped out a couple of times. So in the very beginning, there was, it was a lot of family and friends that showed up to help out for that process. Now, now, fortunately, uh, we contract out almost everything because we can afford it. And we have all of these rental properties uh, wrapped up with a property management company. Oh, wow. At what point did you feel comfortable outsourcing both of those things? Probably took up until about what, say three years ago? Yeah. So we started this six years ago. So the first three years, a lot of it was me. I had a few contractors here and there, but I I couldn't really afford the the best one. So I kept having to chase after them a lot. (laughs) That got annoying. So I would typically end up just doing things myself anyway. Uh, And then eventually I did meet uh, the guy we work with now on a lot of these. And we've been using them ever since. And, and his wife actually runs the property management side. So they, they've been great uh, and very helpful to us during this process. But we just kind of met them right at the right time where we were starting to make enough money to afford to pay to outsource some of these things. And it's been a great, great uh, cooperation since then. And we also decided at a certain point, like, yeah, we could make more money doing some of this ourse- ourselves or, you know, managing it ourselves. But it became a thing that, you know, now we have a seven-year-old and an almost four-year-old and we still have our day jobs and 
we want that time as a family. So even if it's cutting into our profit a little bit, or, you know, we could take it a little further, we've decided that our time together as a family is worth outsourcing some of that work. Yeah. I've said that, uh, you know, we only have little kids once. Um, and I don't want to miss out on that because I, I, I had to for a few years there in the beginning. And it's not something that I want to keep having to do the whole time they're little. One day when they grow up and they don't want anything to do with us anymore, then we'll, you know, I'll get back into it. So the money, the money can be made then too. And how much do you pay property manager? Uh, we pay 8%. They give us a discount because we have so many doors with them and we've been using them, like I said. Since they started. Since, since they started. <laughs> we were right. one of their first uh, clients, clients that they worked when they right. stood up. Certainly not their wow. biggest now, uh, but one of their first then. So Cool. And in terms of growing the portfolio, I mean, you, you mentioned the agent. Is that kind of, hey, go find me this, I'll outsource everything, and then I've got this property management to just slide in there? Or do you take a little bit more active role still in, in sourcing and executing? I, I take a pretty active role. Um, I'm, I'm constantly visiting properties with our agent. But like I said, he's an experienced investor himself. So anytime I have any questions about uh you know, what something's going to look like in an investment property. Uh, he's been able to help us out with those. Nice. I want to go back to something real quick. Cause you have quite a bit of money in your Roth. Yeah. How did you get there? I mean, was this something <laughs> that, you know, com- contributing three grand and six grand, you got married up to what, 6,500 or whatever, every single year that it's just grown and Each compounded grand. or yes. what's, no, the, so, what's the story there? So here's the rest of that story. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> In the military, you have something called a TSP, Thrift Savings Plan. And in your Thrift Savings Plan, they had a Roth option. And there wasn't really much of a limit on what we could put in there. So we shoveled as much money into that Roth TSP as we possibly could very early on. And that's how that balance got so high. Interesting. And I mean, going back to, to the early days where you're just trying to figure out investing, I mean, how did you even stumble on like, hey, this is a Roth and I should do this. My income is pro- possibly lower now than it will be later. My tax bracket's lower, et cetera. I mean, what was the thought process and even getting and arriving at that point? Uh, exactly what you just said. I mean, I knew that my income was as low as it was possibly going to be at that point in my life. And I needed to shovel as much as I could into that Roth account. Uh I'll add too, while I was in the service, um, you know, most days in the service, I mean, if you're not deployed or not out in the field training, uh, you're getting off of, off of your regular work duty hours at about four 30. And I would go work a second job, uh, at night just to have extra money so that I could put my paycheck into the Roth TSP. Interesting. So everything you were making was trying to, was basically going in there and you were living off your second job income. As, as much as I could shovel in, wow. there, I shovel in there. And that was, that was even before we got married. And then once we got married, obviously, you know, she had an income. So then it was like, okay, let's ramp this thing way up and run it from there. Did you learn to do that from a book or a podcast or was this just, Hey, <laughs> Ryan, 20 years old, man, I know exactly what my future is going to look like. And I'm putting all this in a Roth. So when I say when I was 20 years old, sitting in my barracks room, trying to find a way to stop overdrafting my accounts, I went, I went full bore into all of the self-education that I could possibly do, uh, books, Google and, and CNBC. That was really, you know, 
she was making the joke earlier that she's a nerd for liking to catalog documents. And, and I was sort of a nerd for that sort of thing. I would sit around uh, watching and listening to, to CNBC. And anytime someone said a word that I didn't understand, I would just Google the definition of it and then go down the rabbit hole of, you know, that whole, that whole thing down, down in Vestapedia and all these other, all these other things. And then I was started, started listening to uh, personal finance podcasts and, and, reading books. I think I didn't even really get my first personal finance book until we were living in North Carolina. So that must have been. I was working at the library and he asked me, hey, can you get me these books? And right. I said, absolutely. Right. And the first one I ever read was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and and kind of changed my thinking on assets versus liabilities. So that, that book is very good for that. Uh, other than that, really the Roth piece, it was it was sort of intuitive to me that I was in such a low tax bracket that I would want to invest in such a way that I wouldn't have to worry about the taxes later. We wanted to max them out, like max out what we could every year too. And in the beginning, it was one of those things we did it monthly. We budgeted like, okay, this is how much we can afford to do to make sure we hit that limit for the year. And then, you know, as we got further along, it was a, okay, front load it get it done first thing part of the year right? and like, just like check that box and keep going. So in the first few years it was like, we would, we would do, I think it was like $450 a month or something like that, that we could shovel into a Roth account to max out for, for ourselves. And then uh, eventually we got to the point once we moved here and started flipping these houses, we got to the point where, Oh, well we have this uh, money sitting over here in a money market that was waiting on a real estate investment. Let's just take the max for the year and push it into the Roth in January. So we don't have to worry about it for the rest of the year. Yeah. So I'm curious now with the real estate portfolio, you've got, you know, obviously the retirement accounts are, are, are kind of neck and neck. How do you think about, you know, which one to choose? Do you still max out the Roth every year? Is that going to be the plan going forward? Is there a point where you might switch that? Walk us through that a little bit. My plan going forward is to max out the Roth every year uh, on the IRA side, the Roth IRA side. Uh, and then build up the real estate portfolio sort of organically, if I can, from the rents that are coming in. And we'll put that money into a non-qualified brokerage account until it gets to a certain mass that we can then use that to purchase another piece of real estate. And so we'll have the Roth accounts working in the background and then the real estate is there to provide for possibly a, a, I wouldn't call it an early retirement, but an early exit from our W-2 job. Gotcha. Ali, has your, as your income and portfolio and assets have grown, net worth's grown, have you increased lifestyle at all? A little bit. I mean, we've, it's one of those things we've moved a couple times, <laughs> a little bit. He laughs. I see some eyes. <laughs> yeah. We're certainly not putting things back at the grocery store. No, no. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we've, had, we've talked about this a lot in the last year where he's saying, oh, if you want this, get it. I'm like, really? Like, we can, like, we'll go, you know, we don't ask permission, but we want to say, you, we don't just want to go spend willy nilly either. Like, you know, the, if there's certain things we think we need or want to get, you know, we have a discussion about it and try and be on equal footing here. And sometimes, you know, it's one of those things, you know, our son has a break between camp and school this year that we didn't realize like, oh, we have a two week period. We're like, what are we going to do with him? It's like, well, maybe do you want to go to the beach? 
for for like a week. Like, you know, our vacations for years were, okay, we're going to drive to my parents' house. And then next time we're going to drive to your parents' house. And, you know, we didn't really get to go on vacations. We didn't really get to do those kinds of things. And now that we can, I almost, I keep hesitating because I'm like, really, we're, we're at this point now. Like, we we can buy, like, I can get the steak at the grocery store. I don't have to get, you know, the 75% ground beef, like, you know. So or the spam or anything like that. <laughs> We're not, not eating fried bologna sandwiches. <laughs> no, the chicken and rice. The pot, oh, yeah, the yeah. pot of chicken, rice, peppers, and potatoes that last Tell that like. story. Maybe they'll use it. <laughs> when we first got married, we had this nice fancy pot and we filled it with chicken, peppers, potatoes, and then we made a big thing of rice. And that was the only lunch and dinner we ate for the entire first two week, weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. To the point where I'm like, I could not eat that again for years. Like we had box cereal in the morning and we had the chicken and rice for lunch and dinner. And you know, it was one of those things like we had just got married. We were in our little 700 square foot apartment in With North no Virginia. Cable. No cable, no internet, uh, playing a lot of Scrabble. Um, Rummy. Rummy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was pretty good at Rummy. You were. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that was like the first month or so of our marriage was the my job didn't start for a month or so. And, you know, we just we, we really didn't have anything. We honeymooned at like my parents house in North Carolina. They were going to move in the next year. So they had a house and they're like, OK, you can use the house. So she says house, this thing was a cabin, like a luxury cabin up in the mountains of North Carolina that they had just purchased, but hadn't moved into yet. And we had just gotten married and we're looking for a place to honeymoon. So that would be, Hey, that works. Free is good. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Y'all are uh, scrappy. That's for sure. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. And ideally, if we can, I'd love to get answers from both y'all on these. What is the most expensive uh, pair of shoes that you've purchased? I have a pair of boots that maybe is like $125, but I, I've had it for like 10 years. <laughs> Mine would be a uh, $250, pair of do- uh, sorry, $250 pair of work boots. Okay. Not too bad. Uh, what about the most expensive meal out that you paid for? We went to Ruth Chris a couple of years ago before we had kids. If we felt like it was one of those things like everyone should try once and one time, one time. Um, we that probably, was about two hundred and fifty bucks because yeah. we were, I was still drinking at the time. We paired wine with the with the steak and everything else, so that was good. It was a good meal, though. You remember that's all that matters, right? That's right. What is a key lesson that you learned from childhood? Oh, um, for me, it's. Family matters. You know, my mom was one of six and I grew up with, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was really young. I lived with my mom and my grandparents for a couple of years and it was just a cacophony of aunts and uncles and cousins. I think I have 15 first cousins on one side and just having, regardless of what else you have, your family matters. And that's something that's kind of influenced us, I think, now to, you know, stepping back from what we can be doing because we want to focus on our family and have that time as a family. Uh, something that I carried forward from my childhood was um, waste not want not and hard work pays off. Uh, I was also a child of a single mother for many years until she remarried when I was 10. And I watched, I watched my mom 
uh, I believe you, you accused us of being scrappy a minute ago that I get that from her. Uh, she worked two jobs and, and went to school and, and raised me and got us up out of where we were to a nicer place. And so hard work pays off is a, is a lesson that I learned or very early on. Okay. What is the most fun that you've had with money? Oh, our cruise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I got back from Afghanistan, um, in 2013, or 2014, 14, 14, uh, we went on a, a cruise. Will you talk about the cruise. Yeah. Uh, it was probably the most we ever spent on a trip too, but it was because we booked it literally the week before we left and it was January and we went on a Mediterranean cruise for like 12 days. So we went to Italy, France, Spain, uh, Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a all the way around the Mediterranean. Yeah, and I think the most expensive part was the last minute airfare round trip. But to Rome, right? Yeah, we it, had to fly into Rome just to be able to get to the ship. But that was it. Was a great way to get a little bit of everything. Go okay. We want to come back here and do this properly one day. We want to come back here and do this. Uh, but it was a great way to have. Okay, we have our accommodations all in one place. Our we would have you know, big breakfast on the boat in the morning. We would eat locally for lunch wherever we were in port and do some activity. And then we'd have dinner back on the boat. And, you know, we got a couple of souvenirs and stuff with that. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that, that was, was an amazing time. <laughs> I definitely see another cruise in your future. I can tell. <laughs> for sure. Uh, what is, I guess, would that qualify as your best bucket list experience so far as well? So far. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We do want to travel more. Like, I know Ryan wants to go to all the national parks. I really want to set foot on every continent at least once before I go, um, including Antarctica. That's that's one we want to try and figure out one day, too. So that might have to be on a part of a cruise. <laughs> nice, nice. What has been the craziest thing that you've ever done to earn money? Uh, well, I went to a war zone twice. Does that count? <laughs> that's That's pretty wild. I spent the summer as a minor league baseball team backup mascot. Um, I was Sparky the dog. Um, so if Sparky had a game and a charity event or a public event, I would do the event while Sparky did the game. So I, I got about $30 an hour to do that. Sparky, yeah. That's pretty I, I good. Don't think that, I don't think that your uh, strangest thing you've done to earn money could be more vastly different. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is true. Like I said, peanut butter and jelly, two it's complete opposites, but they go well together. The Southern Marine versus the Yankee theater major librarian. Yeah, it <laughs> it shows. Have you ever had disagreements over money? Oh yeah. Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally today, sounds yeah, like for sure, for sure today. Yes. <laughs> Probably before this call. <laughs> right. There I mean, was like an Amazon box. It's like, was not it? That wasn't me. But you know, <laughs> the thing is, like, you have the conversation, right? And even though it may be a disagreement, you, you, you try to be respectful to each other and work out what your goals are together and, and come to a consensus on how to move forward. So even if there is a disagreement, I mean, there's always going to be a disagreement. We're two different people. But we, we can work that out amongst ourselves and, and come to a conclusion that works for both of us. Well said. What's a closely held belief that you recently changed your mind on? For me, it's about kind of a confidence thing. Uh, I've been working really hard to be more confident in 
my abilities and what we've been doing as a family and as a couple. And it's been a very long journey for me. Uh, so getting that confidence to be knowing what we're doing is working and what I'm doing is working and confidence work. I'm still working on it. That's when you confidently say, I am confident. I am confident. <laughs> That's right. Uh, for me, um, something that I, uh, that was a closely held belief of mine while I was in the Marines that I've recently learned to change my mind on since transitioning to the civilian world is uh, you don't always have to fight your way out. Sometimes you can, you can just simply remove yourself from a situation or negotiate and view the other party as a counterpart, not the enemy. Interesting. Appreciate, appreciate y'all sharing. Where, where did your interest Allie, because we've kind of heard Ryan's take on this with 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 the overdrawn on the account. Where did your interest in in personal finance come from? Mine was definitely a different experience. Um, I didn't have much when I was really young. Like I said, with we had the same kind of single mom sort of background. Um, but when my mom did remarry to the man I consider my dad, he did have a very good job and kind of took me in us his own and he's the one who's like okay we're gonna start a stock portfolio for you and he let me pick I think I picked like coca-cola because I knew what it was you know it was one of those things when I was really young he let me pick and we watched them together and I remember like looking in the newspaper to see what the stocks were doing and watching them roll on the tv and seeing the different things there um, but as I got older it's kind of one of those things I was, I was a teenage girl I stopped caring a little bit it was you know um, I took a step back from it. And then when I met Ryan, we started talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I have some stocks. And he's like, you do? I was like, yeah. And you know, we, that's when we started talking about it more. And I realized, oh, maybe I should pay more attention to this, not just kind of have it be in the background that my parents are kind of keeping an eye on for me. I mean, I didn't have very much in there. I think when we got married, that was what, maybe... 8000 Yes, it, it was not very much. We both the, came into the marriage with about $8,000. I had it in a Roth IRA, and she had it in a non-qualified account. So, And the only other thing I had was I had some bonds. That's that, right. Um, yeah. My mom got it in lieu of child support because she was like, you know, in the future, you might want this. And that's how we ended up. I think we ended up using it to replace one of our cars when the, when the car well, finally went. One of the went. cars broke down. Yeah, that's um, right. We used my bonds to buy our, our used car. <laughs> And, you know, that was used car, used car. <laughs> um, then, so I definitely did not have as strong of an interest in the beginning, even in the beginning of our marriage. It was kind of I was the one kicking and screaming a little bit. Um, you know, our approach to it was very different and it was very hard for me, I think, for a long time, especially knowing, well, we have this. Why aren't we? doing more? Why aren't we going out to eat more? Why aren't we traveling more? Why? Like we do make money. Why are we, you know, constantly saving constantly? And then, you know, as time goes on, you're like, Oh, that's why. Well, it turns out peanut butter is really sticky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had some yes, sticky ideas there. Well, um, you know, aside from your financial investments, it sounds like you guys have really invested in your marriage. And I'd love to know what you've done to make it so strong. Communication. I mean, communication is key to everything. A lot of people like to avoid conflict, and, and I can understand why. But unfortunately, my wife married a Marine, and we charge headfirst in the conflict. So, 
you have to have the conflict sometimes in order to find a resolution. I mean, if, if you just go through ignoring all the small problems, uh, they eventually become big problems. And, and they, it yeah. helps having someone who is willing to take that journey with you and actually communicate with you. And we have done marriage counseling in the past. It was one of those things where like, well, if you have a car, you go in for an oil change. Like just because you're going in for counseling doesn't mean there's a problem. It's more like preventative maintenance. Um, the Marine Corps made us do it as newlyweds. Like they made us go to like a communication class and like you got like a talking stick and we used that thing. We did for a little while. For a while. Um, and then we went back a couple years later just to kind of relearn our communication styles were just very different. And he finally said to us, he's like, you guys know you're on the same team, right? It's not, one of you is not going to win. If you're going in an argument to win, you're not doing it right. You're on the same team and you need to be working together. And that was kind of like the, the glass breaking moment, I think for both of us, we're like, Oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Huh? Um, So we'll, we'll still disagree and have our fights and stuff, but we try really hard to really communicate and suss it all out and, put it all on the line when we need to. That's awesome. Another way I've heard that phrase of being on the same team is you're both on the same side of the table looking at the problem versus sitting across from each other as each other as a problem. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Any, um, any final words of advice for someone starting out? Yeah, I can go first. Okay. Uh, my advice to anyone starting out uh, at any point in their life is to just start, just do it. Start now. Um, it doesn't matter how much you have put something to work for you. And, and it doesn't matter if you even know what you're doing, start putting money into investments and you'll, you'll begin to learn more about the investments because it will, it will force you to pay attention to the investment world just by the, the nature that you have the money in there. I would say, you know, don't be afraid that it's hard. I mean, it, it's hard. It will be hard. There will be periods of time when it is really hard. But it's one of those things you'll also look back and go, you're more capable than you can ever imagine. Like, I never thought I would be part of a small business or go back to school or have a master's and do all this stuff with a family. And yeah, parts of it were really hard, but don't let the hard scare you. Sometimes the hard can be really beautiful, too. Yeah, you look back on those hard times with fond memories. Awesome. That's Ryan and Allie with a net worth of $1.1 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.